Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 202, I am joined by Antonia Hock. Antonia is the CEO of Antonia J.A. Hock & Associates, a global consulting firm dedicated to advancing the goals of their clients. They operate with a belief in excellence without compromise and have a deep passion to help organizations strengthen their consumer behavior and business performance. Antonia is a world-renowned expert in customer and employee experience, leadership, and building experience-based brands. Her career is rooted in delivering customer-centric service models for companies of all sizes. She helps implement game-changing employee culture and innovative customer experiences, all with an emphasis on tangible results and lasting impact. She uses her high energy, bold and unapologetic style to help companies succeed through creating a relentless mindset of excellence and innovation. We have a wonderful conversation putting heart, service, customer and employee experience all at the heart and forefront of what we do in business. I hope this conversation feels like oxygen to you. As heart-centered leaders, I know you are going to resonate with the type of leadership, the type of service, the type of world that Antonia talks about. And not only is this something to be inspired and hopeful for, but I hope that it encourages you to bring more of it to the world because the people around you will absolutely be better for the type of leadership and service that Antonia talks about. Here we go, episode 202 with Antonia Hock. Antonia, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? I am fabulous. Oh, so good to have you here. And uh, I was just, just chatting with you before we came on. My, my background's in policing and, and we were in the organizational development department and, and we would often have these kind of visioning exercises. And, and quite often what we would put in the middle of the, the whiteboard is, is what does world-class policing look like so we would sit around and we would hypothesize what does world-class policing like and you know we'd come up with some good ideas and we're trying to you know you know I guess start with the end in mind but I'm I love that I get to have a conversation with someone that has actually been at the very heart of world-class experiences leadership service and all that good stuff so I can't wait to dive into our conversation I think already you're being incredibly kind and thoughtful, but if I have information to share, this is going to be a great hour and I'm excited to share it. Before we dive into the um, career that you currently have, I'd love to know a little bit about your story, a little bit about your journey. And, and I guess, is there a time and a place where your kind of passion and purpose really started to emerge? Well, I would say this. I've always been a very passionate and convicted person. I think if we scrolled all the way back to the very, very beginning, uh, that would be very self-evident. And I knew from the very beginning of my career that I would, I was steeped in experience. I was seeking experiences. And, you know, everyone looks for that common thread across their career. Mine is all tied to experience collection. I think about myself in that way and, and really um, focused on bringing forward the 
best human experiences possible, whether you use technology to uh, support those or whatever you use to support those, the humanity of experience was always really central to my journey. Uh, and so that's, if I had to pick a career thread, it would be that. I saw something on your, um, on your LinkedIn page this week, which talks about the tale of two experiences. And I guess what you, I guess you now have a spidey sense for like what really good human service looks like. Tell us about the tales of those two services. So first and foremost, you can probably guess from that, um, from even that statement, I'm a huge literature fan. <laughs> so Tale of Two Experiences, Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens. And I almost felt like starting that out with like it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, right? The classic opening line to that, to that book. Uh, you know, it's, what's, what I think really stands out today, and I wish it wasn't so rare and precious and unique, mm -hmm. is a human being creating a really heartfelt experience for another human being. That is honestly, I wish that wasn't a rare commodity, but it is. And so this LinkedIn post that you're referring to really speaks to a great experience I had where someone really paid attention to detail, focused on me as a consumer. And I felt that real care and thoughtfulness and connectedness, and it didn't waver through about a 30 minute appointment. And again, I'm back to like, we live in a society that's transactional, it's minute to minute. So spending 30 minutes, like delighting and, and engaging with an, a stranger is really, really rare. And so that's experience really stood out to me and we can dive into all the reasons why, but the converse experience was just being like walking in, not even being acknowledged um, in an environment for even being a consumer in the first place, being utterly ignored and sort of made to feel inconvenient and immediately exited. Mm. I mean, you couldn't have two more disparate experiences. And I feel like that second one is sadly very common today. Mm. Very common, whether it's uh, online or it's in person, We've gotten so used to a transaction and the transaction doesn't even have to feel good. We just have to get the end result product that we'd like delivered or purchased. So in some ways we've stopped caring about that. So these other experiences are like diamonds. They're so rare. Yeah, there was once a time when the art being asked the question, how may I help? I guess, you know, there was a once a time, whereas at least that was posturing our hearts on service. And, you know, this this question here is from my good friend, Jason, who who lives and works in, in Dallas and in Texas. He He's developed his kind of team leadership mindset to be one of how may I help? And, and, and I heard you on a podcast recently in preparing for this conversation. You were like, that's my least favorite question. <laughs> ever because it has no, no it has no degree of being personal or anticipatory uh, what do you mean by it isn't personal or anticipatory you really did your homework ryan i mean i'm not surprised in any way shape or form but but it is one of my least favorite questions and the reason for that you've already started to allude to their human beings give off so many cues body language yeah, you can pick up so much about each of us, the way we're dressed, the kinds of, the, just the way we present ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
I always encourage people to try to lead with some kind of personalization, mm -hmm. even when you're engaging with a stranger. And so when you use a blanket question like that one, how may I help you? I know immediately you haven't taken the time to really even study me, even in that microsecond, to try to pick up something that could be better than that question. Mm -hmm. So I always challenge people be better than that question. It's not a bad question, but I'd rather you lead with, you know, I see you're carrying a lot of bags. May I take those for you? And, you know, you've clearly been doing a lot of shopping today. Like there's always cues you could use to start immediately building bonds other than a blanket statement. Hey, my friends, I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that we are in the middle of our first cohort of Good Fathers, a six-week group coaching program for dads. It is my heart to create a space for these good men, to leave them better for those who call them dads. We're having some intentional, purposeful conversations that I can see the men in front of me are transforming in front of my eyes. They are having conversations that they've never had with anyone else. And it is powerful and it is going to help them be much more loving and intentional fathers, intentional partners. And because I have such undying belief in the power of this group, I am bringing about a second cohort starting on Monday the 9th of January 2023. We're going to kick off with cohort two. If you are a dad that wants to be even better for those who call you dad, then head over to the website abty.co.uk forward slash goodfathers. The link is in the show notes. Have a look and it'd be my honour and privilege to have you come and join us and other good men from around the world as we journey in what it means to be a good father. Here we go. Back to the interview. Yeah, one of the um, one of the challenges that uh, that Jason is going through specifically is he's been put in a position where he's been identified by the organisation as as someone who is great at heart centred leadership. Right, so he's been given all of this position, all of this authority to to scale the way that he leads. Which effectively is like go watch Ted Lasso for like you know <laughs> go watch every episode of Ted Lasso. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess you know how how in your experience and, and how would you suggest you know being able to scale that personal really that that style of leadership which you're talking about that style of experience that you're talking about. I think at the end of the day, every human being craves being seen. Yeah. At the most fundamental level and the very best leaders are able to unpack the people in their charge to the elements. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge challenge today because we've all developed so many facades and so many boundaries, and so many barriers that we've either been taught are important or we've developed in a way to present a certain kind of style mm -hmm. in an organization that we feel will be effective. The best leaders are able to really peel that back to the fundamentals. And I always, I encourage leaders, and I think this truly does scale, to think about the following, right? Human beings all innately are creative. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a scale and it's dependent on your experience, but everybody has ideas, creativity, thoughtfulness that they can bring to bear. Mm -hmm. And I always think that's some of the best of humanity. 
but they also have work styles that we all have to think about. And, and those can be defined and, and created, but my everyone that's worked for me would say, Antonia's favorite mechanism for discovering this, for stripping away those, the, the facades that have been built up over time is the deep end of the pool. And never without safety, but getting people out there and asking those questions, like what would you do? Creating a safe space and yeah. getting those ideas flowing I feel leaders have that fundamental obligation. So when you talk about somebody like Jason, whose leadership is clearly exemplary, when you look at ideas, creativity, human creativity, and comfort, those are all those things I feel like leaders need to create first because out of them comes some real growth for everybody that's in charge. Mm. How do you see the paradox of time? You know, you haven't got the time to do it, but have you really got the time not to do it? How do you, how do you wrestle with that? You must find the time. And, you know, I think with great leaders, you can, you can unpack it quickly. It's that quick phone call. It's that quick text. And it's immediately how you connect in it. You know, it's, it's probably cliche, but that EQ, that ability to, to strip away some of the, I would say even the formality of communication, mm-hmm. you know, check in with people. I love to text and say, hey, what project are you working on right now? Like, let's jump on the phone right now for just five minutes. Just give me five minutes. I want to hear about your day. I want to hear about the project you're working on. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're solving for. Tell me what your impact is. And the way people answer that question immediately can help you give them a spark in their day that gets them like re-energized and thinking about what to do next. And those are the moments that really create connection. And they do scale. They don't have to, everybody thinks it's gotta be like a one hour one-on-one. It doesn't have to be, it can be a micro bite, just mm-hmm. a quick check-in to see how someone's doing. Yeah, I, I, there's, a, there's a Japanese word called gemba, which is where the work happens. And I love this idea of, you know, great leaders will get to the Gemba, you know, because as soon as you do that, and as soon as you have that kind of heart set and mindset for the service and wanting to create the right, right environment for your people to do their best work, you're going to, you're going to see plenty of opportunities to, to help. Right. I agree. And you've really touched on something that I think is very important. And we've moved away from it. I think a certain amount during COVID and all the yeah. upheaval being purpose-driven and disciplined about it yeah. means that you're, you're doing work that matters and human beings want to do work that matters. And if you bump all of your tasks and all of your projects and all of your people up against the work that matters mm-hmm. and, and are disciplined about it, you create an environment where people feel like what they're doing is fundamentally important and important work usually gets done and gets done in a way that's important. Yeah, I love that. And, and there's an, an old analogy one of our old chief constables used to talk about, which was about how the cleaner at NASA would, would be able to say that his job was to put a man on the moon. I don't know mm-hmm. whether it's like a, you know, a folklore tour, but it's having everybody in the whole organization understand that they contribute to the bigger goal, the bigger mission, the bigger, which, which, I, which I love the essence of. How do you how do you practically embed that in a in, a, in an organization? You know, I, I'd go top down, bottom up. You have to have leaders that fundamentally believe in that principle yeah. to start with, right? And you also have to have 
the opportunity to engage at the most fundamental organ level of the organization and that that's equally important. Leaders are not more important than, than the entry level, brand new interns, however you want to look at it. I recently had a chance to have a conversation with a leader that has a, a wide variety of boutiques. And these boutiques have security guards. And there was so much focus on the environment in the boutique and the service in the boutique and all of those things. But yet the very first person that anyone comes in contact with is the security guard. Mm. And to your, to, to your point, it's like, if that first contact doesn't feel great, you've already sort of lost the tone and engaging at that level is really important. So the security guards feeling like my job is as important as the CEO because I have all this contact and I am the face of the brand and I am the very first touch point and I can delight in my own role. It's a different way of thinking. I know on your website, you talk about helping deliver a customer centric culture and environment. Do you think sometimes that we're blinded by being inside our own kind of organization and maybe we don't get to see it from the perspective of a customer? Absolutely. I think a lot of times we start to, especially over time, it happens to organizations, right? You, you become very task oriented. You, you may become very shareholder oriented, which is not, not wrong, but at the end of the day, there's only one set of people that drive revenue and it's customers. Mm -hmm. And so when you move away from thinking about the people that employees that serve our customers and also customers and what they want and how they want to engage and how they change and, and how their cohorts and the demographics matter, you've, you, you're going to start to lose market position quickly. Yeah. You also talk about excellence without compromise. What does excellence without compromise mean to you? You know, um, I would go back to a couple of things on excellence without compromise. I, so I really, I would, and maybe I'll pull in like more of a personal note here. So I'm a mountain climber and, and, and a rock climber. And anytime you are climbing, uh, there's always risk. Mm -hmm. Lots of risk. Mm -hmm. And so when you go out any given day, should you compromise on your safety equipment? Should you compromise on your decision-making, your route mm. choice, maybe your, even your breakfast, right? your nutrition? The odds are good over the, that day. You'll either, you'll either introduce risk or you'll compromise your success. Mm. And so when I think about excellence in business, I think about all that preparation. I think about not compromising that piece because it drives the end result everybody's after. And I, especially today, a lot of people are so goal oriented and they're thinking all about you know, being the best of the best. You gotta lay the foundation for that. And sometimes it's the smallest things you can't mm. afford to compromise on. Mm. Have you been to Mount Yosemite? I have. Can you imagine climbing that with no gear? Nope. <laughs> I I sat on what have you seen the documentary Free Solo by is it Alex? Honestly. Honold. Yeah. That, he lives I'm not out here anxious, in Las Vegas. Does he? he lives I'm in not Las an Vegas. anxious human being, but that that watching that gave me 
anxiety sweats. But you know what's interesting about Alex Honnold, I feel? While, while the gear and the, you know, the actual outcome may feel very risky, in watching that documentary, the rehearsal, the mental preparation, the number of times he's gone over every route in his notebooks, in his head, before he actually steps out there, yeah. it's back to, you know, preparation looks different for everyone, but there's no compromise yeah. on how, what his approach looks like. Yeah, he almost got rid of his girlfriend. No compromise. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that really stood out for me that he said is that when I'm up that mountain, it's not about overcoming my fear, it's about expanding my comfort zone. And that's so counter. There's so much personal development advice. It's, oh, get outside your comfort zone. You know? And he's like, no, I need to expand my comfort zone because if I can't get over my fear, I'm dead. Hundred percent. And you know what? The other thing, the corollary to that as well, is it's back to mindset and preparation. Yeah. yeah. When you are climbing, if you spend too long hesitating on a move, yeah. you'll expend all your energy on nothing except mm. sitting there and thinking. You yeah. must be definitive when you make moves and commit to them fully. And I think there's a really strong life lesson there and a business yeah. lesson there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, I guess some of the words we might use for that, you know, commitment and the decision-making is, is intuition and, and intuition, I believe is a, is beyond the mind is probably a byproduct of the heart. And, and I guess it's not always one as, you know, sometimes one's intuition doesn't seem logical, doesn't, doesn't, you know, you can't perceive it as logical. And, and I think that maybe, what we're doing is filtering um we're filtering decisions maybe not through the the books and the numbers and you know the logic but maybe something deeper you know the culture the things that we represent our identity who we are and who we want to become and and the things that are important to us and our values is is that what you believe to be i do i think it's a I, culture i think it's an art and a science right and i think yeah. if you skew too far in either direction you'll lose your equilibrium. So there's clearly a lot of science behind business and metrics and goals and revenue and things people must achieve in order to stay in business or to drive their market share or to continue to innovate. And th that's a requirement. And there's kind of a science element there. On the other side, though, is the art. And I think right now as we're going into, you know, recession and we're seeing the news come out every day, from this company and that company, right? The art side of it is equally important. And that's how do you keep people psychologically safe mm. so they can do their best work? How do you continue to innovate your culture? I see a lot of people look at recessions like we're going through as like, it's a time to contract, it's a time to you know, be fearful and there's so much fear mongering. And I look at it and go, it's a perfect time to consolidate behind who you are as a company. Mm -hmm. This is the time where you cement employee loyalty. This is the time where you grow as an organization, where you really get to cement your values, your culture, your mm -hmm. and, and how you present yourself to the world. And coming out of a recession, those things will be mission critical, as important as the science side. What gives you that conviction? 
You know, I, at the end of the day, I fundamentally believe all business is about people. I don't care what you make. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're, you know, cryptocurrency, your Walmart, your Audi, doesn't matter. You're in the people business. And if you don't think you're in the people business, you will not be here. I don't care how strong your heritage brand is or how many years you've been in business. If you don't know you're in the people business, you'll be out of business sooner or later. And so I know from that point of view, and we're watching it happen. And we've heard about it now for years. You know, the great recession, all these, all these concepts, they underpin how important humanity and, and people leadership really is. In your career, you've devoted your time, your energy to, you know, many of some of the world's, you know, greatest organizations. And um, what do you do for yourself? What do you do as a leader to, to be able to look after yourself, give back to yourself? I, I would say a couple of different things. Um, one, I'm a committed, we, talk, we talked about it a little bit, right? I'm a committed mountain climber, rock climber. Um, you can call me a gym rat. You know, if it's outside, I, I'm, that's just, it's not so much about a physical um, exertion, it's mental. It's my place where I recharge. I'm as likely to take a conference call with a client on the side of a mountain as we I am. We almost did this conversation at the start. I know, we almost did, I know. <laughs> but, I, but I do that because you can't, you can't feed your passion, your conviction, and do your best work if you don't recharge your battery. Yeah. And I encourage everybody to figure out how, what that means for you. If you knit, if you like to go to soccer, what you want, whatever it is, figure it out and do it relentlessly and make time and space for it because you'll be a better leader for that. And then the flip side is I, I'm a big believer in meditation and just that real important downtime for my own brain to quiet so I can think and create. Did you find these things without having to go through the burnout phase? I, you know, I did. And, and the reason I, I will say that is that I never, I've never been at a place where I've been burned out mm -hmm. and it's because I've guarded that's so that balance so carefully for myself. And yeah. I don't want that to sound particularly like, um, it's about me. I always felt as a leader, it was very important for the people in my organization to see a leader that gave them that capability to go be those things, do those things. Yeah, and so yeah, it yeah. probably started actually from that point, as opposed to me just wanting to recharge my own battery. It started <laughs> from, I want other people to be able to leave, go, do, not feel like they have to punch in, punch out, and they're being watched every minute of the day. You mm. must be able to, you're a human. You have to be able to do this big, wide, diverse thing in your life. That's why we're here. Yeah. Well, it's um, absolutely. I think what you're, you're touching on is, is you know, what we're taught, practice what you preach, you know, model it. And, uh, you know, too many, too many leaders out there, they're probably in the realm of uh, say one thing, do another. And uh, it's good to hear. Sadly, sadly, I wish you were not right, but I've seen, I've seen a, I've seen a fair amount of that, and I, you know, I always feel a lot of compassion in that environment because yeah. it's usually the product of a, of a career, yeah. of a set of leaders that came before that leader, yeah. that taught that leader, that behavior. Yeah. 
And I feel we're, we have the chance to break a lot of cycles right now as we have this new, new generations of leaders coming up through these businesses. Yeah, I, I many moons ago had the irony of working alongside the, the organization's lead for well-being who worked 70 hour weeks who you know wouldn't <laughs> they would you we wouldn't be allowed to push anything back we wouldn't be able to reprioritize anything everything that yeah <laughs> the irony right and and that is right. the opposite of psychological safety because if they're not doing it well nobody else can do it that's right and and psychological safety i think is probably especially right now one of the greatest gifts mm. i don't know how anyone can be deeply productive, thoughtful, courageous in their work, innovative in their work, if they don't have that fundamental principle in place. Yeah. I, I don't think this is a controversial opinion. It's just my opinion. I believe that psychological safety and trust, you know, these, these are two real kind of prominent ideas that have come out in the last 10 to 15 years. I think they are byproducts of something deeper that we don't talk about in business, which is unconditional love. I think if we can, as a leader, create a, an environment where the people in, around us feel safe in our presence because there's nothing they can say, do, uh, perform, not perform, that changes their belonging in our organization. And I get the paradox and I get the idea that we don't want these people to be underperforming and, and causing issues. But let's just assume that our recruitment strategy is good. Let's just assume that we've got the right people through the door. Um, they're a good fit for our brand. Having a leader that can make people feel unconditionally loved. I truly believe that that's the right word for it. That say, psychological safety and, and trust will, will be the byproduct. And those people will want to follow the leader because they've got their back. I agree. But you know what you're also getting to is that leadership is a calling. Yeah. It's not a, you know, I always look at leaders and I'm always interested in like, did you get into it because you felt, you know, it was that yeah. badge on your chest, right? It's the next logical progression in your own career and you feel great because you're climbing this ladder or did you yeah. get into it because you love seeing other people grow and succeed and expand mm -hmm. all of those things and you must be that kind of leader in order to to create the environment you just spoke of because without that you, you'll never if you're just in it for the glory you'll you will never be able to achieve this sort of environment where your team will feel and, and the people in your charge will feel that mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and, I, and I come from a Christian faith background, and, and I think you know, the example of love that I'm taught there is one of service and sacrifice. It's, it's, it's my, my humility to put someone else before myself and my willingness to serve, uh, probably not lay down my life in business. You know, I, hopefully it won't have to come to that. <laughs> but maybe right. for my loved ones and my family, absolutely, through my declaration of love, I will, I will put myself in that position. Um, and you're right, I think many leaders follow their model of um, advancement and uh, rank status and position and, you know, and, 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 and the, uh, the closest parking space to the building. And um, they don't necessarily then have the motive that is required to serve or, or to sacrifice. You know, and I think right now, um, you know, I have a lot of I have a lot of new leaders in my business. 
at, at this time. And one of the things I always think about, because everyone at some point makes a transition from being an individual contributor to a leader. And I feel like that transition is that moment of truth where often we can discover if you're in it because you feel called and you feel it's so important or you, you, you're in it because you feel it's the next important thing for you to do. Yeah. And it's so important for leaders today to take the time to really have the conversation at that moment mm. about why. Because there's nothing wrong with being a fantastic, successful individual contributor. And if that serves your role and your life to the best, do that, be that. Like that's not a wrong choice. Yep. If we're going to move you into a leadership role, let's do it because you feel the call to serve. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's it's that self awareness thing, isn't it? And it's it's really interesting because I think that um, maybe some of the large organisations that you have been part of and, and have, have served um, have these processes down. But I, I, I certainly feel that you know small and medium businesses are really struggle with that transition, supporting. Mm -hmm that individual contributor to first time manager leader role, what would, um, you know, what would you equip these people with? Uh, you know, what would you suggest that, that these organizations you know, equip them with? What I always suggest with, in, in this is to look at it through a competency lens, because that tends to really, I, I see so many um, small and medium businesses look at a very successful individual contributor and go, because you are successful as an individual contributor, you'd be a great leader. Right, you really, you've mastered the individual discipline, so therefore you can lead others. And I've always encouraged people to think about what are the competencies that are being demonstrated by that individual that make them a great leader? Not great in their current job, but a great leader. And when you start to talk about it through a competency lens, not a success lens, not a metric lens, but who are you? And what are you great at? You can yeah. start to unpack whether that person is ready for a first time leadership role. And I challenge yeah. people, when I interview, I challenge people on those things. Mm -hmm. What are some of the competencies you would look for? No, um, I would start with listening. Yeah. Would you consider yourself to be a wonderful listener? And give me some examples of when you listened. Yeah. Amazing, like that question, like alone, I've seen so many people struggle with. They're like, but let me show you my sales results. <laughs> no, that, that's yeah. not, I yeah. want to hear about, give me three examples recently where you were a phenomenal listener and how did you know you were a great listener? How did you know? Those are the kinds of questions I would start to look at and, and the answers start to bear out what is a great leader. Give me an example of a time that you led a project that was unsuccessful. And how did you, how, how did you manage that situation? Tell me about the mm -hmm. outcomes. Tell me about the other people that were in the project. Those are the kinds of open-ended questions that are really driving towards a competency model and not, wow, you're a really great salesperson and Therefore, you'll be great leading other salespeople. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? 
it's funny because you know even even as police officers we end up promoting high performance police officers who then want you know these are good people that want to feel useful mm-hmm. so what do they do they tell people if they're the highest performer who knows all the answers they feel useful by telling people and um yeah it's it definitely uh, i definitely see coaching as a skill set of a leader being something that um is becoming more and more um associated with i guess leadership and and, and just and bringing the best out of people i love that sort of scenario model as well when you're really thinking about taking someone from lone contributor to leader i love yeah. to hear about scenarios that bear out those traits and you just touched on one right coaching I want to see examples of where you coached to an outcome. Mm-hmm. Somebody that you, that you coached and ultimately they made some great choices and were very successful and somebody that you coached who was not successful. Yeah. And how did you handle it? Because that yeah. leaders are presented with those every day. Yeah. I, I read a wonderful book by Adam Grant called Give and Take. And it's one of my favorites. And uh, it talks about how, you know, essentially be a giver be a giver not a taker and um it revealed how you know in the early days of whether you join a university or an organization if you're a giver by you know by disposition you end up leaving other people better and then you the perception is that that you're not one of those if you're judging on hierarchies and metrics so you're right we have to start looking through a different lens than performance because those people who actually are showing leadership by leaving others better i think there was one example in his book he talks about one of the um one of the co-writers of the simpsons who's had a role in nearly 200 episodes where they've just facilitated some form of inspiration and they've never had their name on the credits ever and you'd never know that's right but those are you know we it's, it's just an interesting time. I see so many people seeking um, sort of, you know, that next great thing. I want to be seen and known a certain way. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the, the self-satisfaction that you receive from helping someone else have that podium finish or be that, you know, I'm a huge Formula One fan. So Same. when you when you get to the podium finishes yeah, and you see yeah. the drivers on the podium or you see the constructor, right, winner yeah. for the particular Grand Prix, that person did not get on that podium of their own, like by, by themselves. There's all these people that are not on the television and they are not on the podium that made that possible. 100%. And it's so well into your into your simpsons analogy yeah do you have a favorite driver or a favorite constructor i i do have a favorite driver he's really suffering this year <laughs> but i'm a pretty big lewis, lewis yes same, same i wasn't i wasn't always but i love yeah. i've loved the way he's grown as a driver and as a person and just it, I, it's been fun to watch his career over formula one yeah, he's been using um, the words better than yesterday in a lot of his content in the last year. So he needs to be careful. He's infringing on some of this coffee. <laughs> I'm sure. He, I'm sure he can pay me out. But uh, my my son, uh, my son Corey's ten. He's a huge Max Verstappen fan. This is like, oh, oh no, oh no. I don't know, know how I feel uh, about that. Uh, I've got to live with him. 
<laughs> Although oh. we we've been to Silverstone twice the last two years, and uh, Max hasn't been successful on those occasions, so at least at least he hasn't seen him win in person. I know. Well, yeah. I have to say too, one of my favorite new drivers is George Russell. I was so excited right. to see him come up, and I'm excited to watch him. Uh, I think he's a great teammate for Lewis. Back to our analogies of like investing in talent and seeing people come up and be ready and answer the call and it's uh it's it's been fun to watch him this year too yeah i think much like you with your kind of tailor to um experiences uh i i have this thing where i see hallmarks you know little drops of leadership everywhere i'm always listening to the interviews after the race i'm always observing you know listening to the words that maybe toto will say about you know you know success and failure and their mindset and, and i'm always picking up clues is that how you i guess you must have to go through the world like this when you go to any kind of uh, organization where you're getting the customer experience you know, I just don't think you can ever turn it off. And it's, it's, uh, you really, really, really truly can't. It doesn't matter whether I'm at a, at like a gas station or petrol station or, you know, a really great sort of five star experience. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, great service and service from the heart and great organizations always bear it out in the service they deliver. And I recently, I live in Las Vegas. I recently went to try out, I'm, I also happen to be, um, I tend towards plant-based eating whenever I can. And I was off to Burger King to get an impossible burger. And the gentleman who took the order was definitely living his best life. He was, he greeted me by name. He was so delighted to, to make sure he got my order right. He remembered my name, called me by my name, checked in to see whether I liked the product. I mean, level of service you would never expect in a Burger yeah. King transaction. So it's not just reserved. People sometimes think high touch. It's it's yeah. all about that human interaction. Yeah, one of the things I heard you say recently is it's great. Yes, you use my name, but in today's world, with the amount of data and information that we have on people, it's like you now have an expectation that you know me. What's the, tell us about that little, you know, because I think, you know, many people will still be kind of catching up on this kind of data world that we're living in and how that might use in their business and how they might, you know, develop their customer experience. What is the gap between saying someone's name and yet being able to personalize? your service for that person in front of you? But I'll give you a good example. Um, we have a pharmacy here in the US called CVS. And every time I walk into CVS, they welcome me to CVS. And it is the fakest welcome because I can tell it's been mandated. Like as someone has told someone that this is a requirement. Every time you see a human being come into your store, you must say these words to them. Mm -hmm. You can just tell. And so in this world of data and personalization, one of the most important principles in my world is sincerity and authenticity. Yeah. If you build a model, and I don't care whether you build it into an app, you build it into a service model that you're going to deploy in a physical environment, you can't get lost in the data to the extent that you lose a human lens on why data mm. matters. Mm. 
putting my name at the top of an email, like that's great. That's expected. That's not personalized. Mm -hmm. I recently had this conversation with someone that's personalization. That's not personalization. Personalization is when you take the time to make that greeting match my time zone. Like that's personalization, right? It's not just my name. You now have identified that I live in the Pacific time zone. You're paying attention. And then you get into the next level of micro detail. You remember my previous purchases, if that's if you happen to be in that environment, or the last time I visited you, or the last time you know we engaged together. You don't, if you run an IVR, you don't make me repeat my personal information 83 times through every level of the AVR. Like there's just some things here that technology just hasn't caught up, caught up to like the human human expectation yeah and, and i guess that's the paradox again isn't it you know because because if you want to scale a culture there has to be some form of systemizing mm -hmm. uh, but is scripts really the way to do that that's right i i i'm back to how we kind of like started this original conversation i don't think you can script great service what you can do is, in, is, is really empower people with a framework and then let them lead. hire, you said it earlier in this as well, hire the right people for your organization and then let them use some of their own talent, their own creativity, their own judgment, trust them within that framework to deliver something exceptional. And if that happens to be somebody building an app, who's gonna build some unusual features into it because they believe that is the most important thing to deliver. That's a version of human creativity. Mm. And I think those are the things that are gonna drive the best organizations. And we see it already. There's some out there right now that are really committed to these kinds of, of processes. Yeah. yeah, I really subscribe to what you say about creativity. I, I didn't believe myself to be creative with, with these hands. You know, I've, I've never been artistic. I've never been very good at DIY, but I'm a creative problem solver. I'm an innovator. I'm like, I'm a, a creative experience. Like this experience, so you were, we're having a great conversation, right? I can see you smiling. Um, that, that, I've started to realize that's my form of creation. Hmm. You know, in some way I'm doing something, partnering with the things that I love. And in some way there's something new in the world. And I 100% agree with you. I, I, I fundamentally believe, and I'm sure this people would take issue with this, but everyone has the ability to create everybody has creativity. It's innate to the human condition. And it's, I think it's directly tied to some of our best performances. It's just a function of figuring out how that connects to you because it's different. Just your, your example there is a great, great one. Yeah. I, um, I said the word innovative and, you know, too often people think innovative is just, just get in a workshop, you know, let's get some flip charts, let's get some sticky notes and innovative is deeper than that. Right. It's much deeper than that. And I also think very early, we like to label people. We love to put people in boxes as humans. And if you put someone in a box too early as being like purely analytical or purely, you know, an IT person, or you just, you, we want to put the labels on, Yeah. you cut off that opportunity. And it's not always about a meeting. It's not always about a flip chart. Sometimes you need to go out and do something together that's in the spirit of what you're trying to achieve. 
know, we, we, we talk often about a lot like luxury experiences. I was having this conversation many months ago, but it's it, not everybody knows what luxury is. So yep. if you're trying to have people create an experience that's very grounded in their own human experience. So yeah. go out and do something together that you think embodies that and then use that as that platform to start to think about what's next or how you might create that in, in your own world. It's the mm. total opposite of a flip chart. Mm. Yeah, so many of these things based on you know, people's values, their, their perception of value can change. Therefore, this topic of value is, is, is subjective. And, but I've, I've also heard you say that people will pay a premium for something that's personal. Why? Because at the end of the day, we all crave connection. I really fundamentally believe that. There will probably be people listening to this podcast that, of course, will take it in a different direction. But I really believe at the end of the day, human beings crave connection. And I think we see it through every mechanism, whether you're on TikTok whether you walk into a, a luxury hotel, whether you, whatever it is in your, you, you, whether you want to, to do um, gaming with other people, these are all forms of connection. And the stronger, and I actually think the most powerful, some of the most powerful connections in a commerce environment are between strangers. There's nothing more validating than when you have a, a complete stranger that takes the time to invest in you yeah. in, in a really authentic way. It's yeah. so rare, but it can be so powerful. Yeah, my community manager, Abby, she's just got back from a trip to New York and um, she said that she was walking down somewhere near Broadway and um, she says she saw this lady crying in an archway and she's just stopped and said, you, do you need a hug? like, you know, British woman in, yeah. in New York. And, and they stood on the sidewalk, if that's the, you know, got that right. They stood at the side of the road and had a conversation for an hour. <laughs> and she's like, I don't think many people like you would have stopped, you know, in, in, in New York, the hustle, the bustle. And yet a British woman in New York sees, and they have this moment. They have this moment together where they both leave just different human beings. I've heard you use the word indelible imprint. Yeah. Like my Abby had that opportunity. She took that opportunity because she was looking. Mm -hmm. But how often are we just looking down at these things or we're, we're too busy focusing on where we're headed and we, we forget to get our head up and look around? I, I think it happens all the time, but that's the magic. Right? It's those indelible moments and you never know when they're coming. So if you're not paying attention, you might miss an incredible moment in your life or the opportunity to create an incredible moment for someone else. I mean, I've had along the way, so I was thinking actually reflecting on it the other day, the number of times a stranger has offered me some kind of kindness or taking the time to really invest or notice or do something just out of the blue that I knew was, was a gift. Those are, those are some of the strongest memories. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a commerce environment and they're tied to your brand, those are gonna be indelible consumer memories. If they're in a personal sphere, they may change your lens on 
you know, what you believe or what you believe about humans or like, how you move through the world, they're powerful. Um, I had last year, I, we were talking about my mountain climbing. I got stranded in the Mojave Desert mm-hmm. on my own out in the middle of nowhere and having a total stranger bail me out of one of the scariest circumstances. I mean, I'll never forget that, that gift. He had a million other things he could have done that day, a million. And he took hours and hours out of that day to save me from my own stupidity. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was a huge gift and I'll never forget it. But you paid that forward, right? I did. And, you know, it's uh, anytime you have an opportunity to do something for someone else, I really fundamentally believe you should do it. You never know what the gift will be or who the, who the giver and receiver will be in that transaction. But there's a story behind that paying it forward. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, after, after the Mojave, I was climbing in a pretty dangerous situation and I had a chance to take care of someone who, who was in a very, um, was in a life or death situation mm. and would have, could have easily, easily um, gone the other direction. And I was, so I was happy to be in a situation where I could do something like that. Yeah, one of the things I said to Abby is that, um, you know, one of my favorite books is by a guy called Bob Goff. He wrote a book called Love Does. And one of the things he says is that to answer our prayers, sometimes God sends a friend. Mm-hmm. It's true. Absolutely yeah. true. But we just need more people. You know, I think about just making sure you, you said it a moment ago, you're not heads down on your phone all the time, just or you're not caught up in a purely transactional technology world, it's important to continue to be present for those opportunities. Yeah, the the word indelible imprint, it sounds to me like it means very much the same as the word I use called heart print. The word heart print for me represents all the legacies of our interactions. When I was at the police, we used to train our detectives the Lockhart's exchange principle, which is this idea that every contact leaves a trace. And if we're teaching our detectives, we're teaching our police officers that um, every contact leaves a trace. So it gets them in the mindset of looking at the scene to go and pick up some evidence, something that the offender has probably left of themselves. And I just really believe that we need to teach leaders that concept because our leadership will always leave a trace, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. Sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional. But I believe that when we really do get leadership right, we will leave a heart print where those people are left better. We'll leave an indelible imprint or indelible heart print. What do you think your heart print will be? Well, you know, if I were to look back as a leader and, and, um, and think about feedback, think about what's important to me, the uh, concept of the people that I've worked with that have been, I've had the privilege to lead or to, to have on teams or to have in organizations, the opportunity to help them figure out what they really want, mm-hmm. I think is the greatest gift. And the, you know, really taking the time to see, mm-hmm. even if you have to do that, I mean, I, I've, I've done performance reviews. Most of the time, performance reviews in organizations are a check the box activity, right? You're in and out, 45 minutes, an hour max, if you're lucky, in or out. Yeah. I had a team at one point where I had 15 people and our, our performance reviews were four hours each. 
And they were four hours each because we took the time to have the majority of that conversation was all about what do you want from your life and how can I help you get it? Uh, what, what are you doing in this role that got you to this step? But where, what do you really want? Like not the next job, not the, you know, if we were to scroll forward and you were to define success 30 years from now, 40 years, what would that look like for you? Mm-hmm. And those conversations, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted with where a lot of these people have gone on and what they've done with themselves, but that's the, that's the imprint I want to leave, that that was the kind of leader. I didn't, didn't focus on the job performance. I focused on what, how I can help you get to a place where you get what you want. And I'm not judging what that is. I just want mm-hmm. you to figure it out. That's the imprint that I would want to leave. I absolutely love that. I'm smiling because, uh, and it's interesting that you use the word, the number 15, um, you know, because there was a time that uh, I was made to believe that my style of leadership wasn't, you know, productive, shall we say, you know, and <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, you yeah. know, I, 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 I had a small role in the promotion of 15 people within a few years. And, you know, I don't talk about that that massively. It's interesting that you said the number 15, and that's what kind of brought it up for me is I I, I try to have conversations, the ones that you describe, ones mm-hmm. where I, I deal with the human being in front of me. I came to understand that, you know, what I was being taught around leave leave home at home just was never never humanly possible. So I had to make space for that as their leader and try and find ways with which to make their time with me, you know, easier, if that's a way of describing it, easier to do their best work. And then if I can send them home better for those who need them, you know, the, the single parent, four kids just got home from school, wanting tea on the table and you're here late doing this report. How can I send you home better for those who need you? hundred percent agree. And I think it's just really rare today that we take the time to ha- ask the question, Especially, we talked a lot on, uh, already about transactions, and I feel a lot we do that. There's a lot of leaders out there that transact with the people that they have in their charge. It's a transaction. Did you get the project done? What was the end result? Um, and then maybe there's some token awareness of their larger life. But taking the time to really think about why are we here together and how do you go on and do your best work and get what you want out of your life? That's that from my view, that's that's the leadership we're after. I want to be super conscious, respectful of your time. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving in the States, is that right? It is. Yes, it is. What does what does Thanksgiving mean in the context of of leadership and, and customer service and, and all the good things that you represent? I think it's really a just it's about it's about gratitude. You know, I have a, um, I have a principle I love to do with, with my teams and, and clients and, and I love to toast and I feel toasting when you're sitting down and you, whether you, you know, in any, in any format, toasting is this art form that we've gotten really lazy with over time. We love to say cheers. Okay. We love to, that, that's not a toast. Like and I tie this back to gratitude because it causes people to pause, think about what you're really grateful for and give it a voice mm. and do it in front of a group of people that you're sitting with. Mm. 
And so when I think about Thanksgiving, I think about that, those moments of gratitude, big and small, that we all have in our lives. And this is a day where we get to do that. So there'll be a lot of toasting tomorrow um, yeah. with friends and family and loved ones all over the place. It leaves no doubt. It absolutely leaves no doubt that if you're grateful for something or someone in that room, they're going to hear about it. Yes. Yes. I love that so powerful because we could just sometimes uh, and i guess you know whether the vulnerability whether the awkwardness you know maybe we've got kind of i don't know whether this is true in america but certainly the british culture of you know don't be too emotional or expressive like yeah, tell people yeah. you love them right yep tell them you're grateful for this moment they did for you that maybe they weren't aware of or they you know or you're just happy that you're you're present with them today whatever it is it's just, I love, and I also love it because it's like it, a toast implies brevity. I think I hope for most people, but there's like, you're not going to go on yeah. for hours and hours. You're going to have to be succinct and thoughtful yeah. in that moment. And you also can't rehearse it or prepare for it. So yeah. it pulls out some, some real meaning. So when I think yeah. about Thanksgiving, that's always on my to-do list. Lots of toasting. Love that. It's funny, isn't it? Because when I think about gratitude, it, you know, here's here's a perspective for for many managers and leaders listening: is is be grateful for the things that even you expect to be just the basics of the job. I remember being in our emergency control room, and you know, I got to see the policing at its finest, teamwork under pressure. You know, the the call handler taking the call, really dealing with it, really calmly, professionally getting the support, speaking to the uh, the dispatchers. They worked fantastically as a team. And, and so I just followed up. I said, I watched that. That was insane. Like, absolutely, be proud of yourselves. That was great work. And they were like, yeah, we're just doing our job. <laughs> they got to this point where we were so desensitized that they, were, they weren't <laughs> accepting. Of, I was like, that's the point. That's the point. Thank you for doing your job. Like, thank you for doing it with such excellence without compromise shall we say absolutely those are the, those are the things it's so important to acknowledge that yeah. so important to acknowledge that i i my one of my general principles is always lead with gratitude mm. period like you can always find something in an interaction with someone to be grateful for always even low performers even projects that are off in the ditch you can always find the silver lining. Maybe I'm an internal optimist, but but it's a natural disarming function that makes it easier to improve something if you can find some nugget of gratitude in it. Yeah, you might be an optimist, but I'm, I'm sure you've not been wrong yet. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it's... Well, it, in it, terms of finding the silver lining, if you seek, you shall find. It's true. It's absolutely true attitudes are choices by and large yeah i've enjoyed our conversation thank you so much for your time out your day thank you for getting yourself down off the mountain safely to come and have this conversation <laughs> <laughs> all right it was my absolute pleasure and as i said before we got on air um yeah i love the fidelity of your point of view and the way you always uphold the concept of heart print everywhere you go it's a it's a pleasure Thank you. I appreciate you. And I'd be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. 
You know, um, I think my final thought with, you know, you, you've kind of crystallized it a little bit. You know, you, what, what you seek is seeking you, right? Like really, if you're seeking something phenomenal in your life and you put your energy behind that, it will find you eventually. And, you know, especially this time of, of recessions and it's so easy to be overly, um, I'll say negative in some cases, mm-hmm. but the, having that glimmer of optimism, continue to seek the best, the best in the people around you, the best in your circumstances, the best you can find, and it will find you. Amen to that. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.